From the MGMA in-home studios, welcome to the Insights Podcast. I'm Daniel Williams. So many people are afraid of conflict and they perceive conflict as a negative thing. Conflict in itself is not a negative thing. It's whether that conflict yields results or creates discord. And so the reason it's productive conflict is because I want people to be able to let go of the notion that conflict is bad or conflict can't be helpful. I want people to recognize that conflict is very productive when done well. That's Amy Lafko talking about productive conflict and better communication. We'll hear more from Amy in just a moment, but first, a word from our sponsors. A strong financial foundation is critical for any healthcare organization. With Allscripts Revenue Cycle Management Services, you get a robust, end-to-end revenue cycle solution that improves reimbursement processes and offers access to advanced analytics and reporting. With the right partner by your side, get on track toward a healthier financial future. Allscripts can help you reduce the cost of care while building a healthier community. Learn more at allscripts.com. It's all about you this fall. Accelerate your path to medical practice leadership. Be empowering, be influential, be exceptional, be a leader. Join us in San Diego, October 24th through the 27th at the Medical Practice Excellence Leaders Conference or for our digital experience, November 16th through the 18th. Visit mgma.com MPE21 and register today. Our guest today is Amy Lafko, owner and principal of Cairn Consulting Solutions. Amy's here today to talk about productive conflict, getting to better outcomes through better communication. Amy, thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. I'm very, very glad to be with you. Yeah, it's, it's good to have you back on the show. We had you about this time last year. Uh, we were talking about all the emotional aspects, emotional intelligence, and how to kind of address the pandemic and the fallout of that through emotional intelligence. So bring us up to speed now. What are you up to these days? What have you been focused on over the last year or so? I've been really fortunate to be able to continue to serve my clients as an advisor. And we've spent a lot of time on that process of how do I furlough? How do I bring people back? Um, people for a long time were saying, let's go back to normal. And I think we've gotten to a place where we recognize there is no quote unquote normal. And so this is an opportunity to restructure some things, to get creative in how we're looking at moving our practices forward. And so I think with clients, that's what we're really focused on is, is designing better practices. And I'm so grateful my um, leadership development programs were able to transition on a dime. And so 
they may have been in person previously, but we were able to transition to virtual really well. Um, I'm thankful that some of them we've been able to do a mix of in person again, but for the most part, they've people didn't miss a beat in terms of being able to connect virtually. And I'm so grateful for that because I still wanted that to be really high value. And there were just some clients I we couldn't do in person. And then um, the other really big thing is that I've been focused on writing a book and I'm wow. so excited. It'll be coming out soon. And it was a bigger undertaking than I first expected. There was a lot of research involved. I was fortunate to interview over 20 business owners and practice leaders from every type of practice that there is. We have variety there, um, orthopedics, OBGYN, which is really cool because it gave a different slant of view, but doing all those interviews, doing the research, it took time and focused energy. And so that was really exciting. That is exciting and con congratulations. Uh, having worked on some different book projects, I know the the blood, sweat, and tears that goes into a book. So congrats <laughs> on that. Um, I want to ask you more about that uh, later in this conversation. I did want to go into something you were talking about was working with people face-to-face, -face, transitioning to that from what you had been doing, uh, well, transitioning then into the virtual side of meeting with people. We have been faced with that challenge as well at MGMA through our events. I wanted to get some, an idea from you. What's the biggest difference for you? I mean, I know that you've been talking to you, you're a very energetic person. Um, does the energy level stay the same, whether you're in person or virtual or you dial it down? I mean, what, what is, to you, what's the biggest difference um, in addressing people? No, no, that's fine, but addressing people when they're right in front of you versus through a Zoom call or wherever, however you're reaching them? I do my best to keep my energy up. I tend to listen to a lot of music right before I start. I got a standing desk so that I can do it standing instead of always being sitting. I will say that when I've started leadership um, and career development programs during the pandemic, it takes longer to build that connection that allows for the vulnerability so the clients I started when it was in person, that level of vulnerability came more quickly in person. And I think the other thing that we're really missing with the virtual, whether or not you drink coffee or water, you know, that time around the water cooler, and that's difficult to replace. So I found myself in my virtual sessions adding more one-on-one -on -one conversations with folks in between our training sessions and really focusing a lot more heavily on the breakout groups than I necessarily would have in person. And then I'm working with folks who their billing department isn't coming back into the practice or they've moved scheduling offsite permanently. And so how do we still keep them connected? And so it's how do we find ways to stay connected because we've lost that look over at the next desk and say, hey, I've got a question. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, it is very different in that, in that regard. So that's interesting how you, you make some different little adjustments to it to make, make it where you can connect with those people and answer the questions that they want and, and help them achieve uh, what they're looking to achieve when they go into a workshop or whatever the kind of event might be. So thanks for that. Um, I want to 
move into another topic because you are going to be a featured speaker at the upcoming MGMA Leaders Conference. That's going to be in October in San Diego. You and I were talking about that offline. Um, your session, I want to get this right here, it's called Productive Conflict, Getting to Better Outcomes Through Better Communication. I, I want to ask you a lot about this session, but I, first I want to, I love this turn of phrase, productive conflict. Uh, talk about that a little bit. What do you mean by that? So many people are afraid of conflict and they perceive conflict as a negative thing. Conflict in itself is not a negative thing. It's whether that conflict yields results or creates discord. And so the reason it's productive conflict is because I want people to be able to let go of the notion that conflict is bad or conflict can't be helpful. I want people to recognize that conflict is very productive when done well. And when I say productive, what I mean is that we take away the win-loss perspective of conflict. Conflict isn't about someone winning and someone losing. Conflict, when it's productive, means not only that people get what they need, and I wanna actually take it beyond compromise where still people walk away with something not quite rich. Productive conflict is when you come to the table, you get all the issues out, and you actually walk away with something even greater than you thought possible. Hmm. Okay. Okay. I do want to follow up on that then ask you about where's the line then between having a productive conflict communication with another person and crossing that line? Because as we know, it's, we have some, we have some very heated topics today in our culture. And so I could see where someone might go, well, I I, I want to, I want to voice my opinion, but you know, I mean, we always say like when we go home to, you know, meet with family, there's a family member and we have different opinions on things. So don't bring up this, don't bring up that. So how do you stay within those boundaries of having a productive conflict conversation and having one that really gets unhealthy and leaves people with hurt feelings? I think the most important thing, and actually in the workshop itself, there are four components to productive conflict. And using the model is only one step. Mm -hmm. The earlier steps in productive conflict are being able to let go of your faulty motives, which I want them to hear my opinion. That isn't a healthy goal for the conversation. Mm. That's one-sided. So when we think about it, what are our unproductive or faulty motives around conflict and how do we move to more productive and positive motives of conflict, which are things like, I want to understand their perspective. I want to do things with their best interest in mind. So unhealthy conflict really can be identified in a few ways. One, you've always got your gut check. You know, if you know that you can't go into this conversation in a way that you can be level-headed and be open to hearing the other side, that's a good indicator that now's not the time for that conversation, no matter how skilled you are at the, the model of productive conflict. And the second thing to think about is, what are my negative assumptions here and can I let them go? Mm -hmm. So unhealthy conflict 
is one of three things. You avoid having it. You resolve the conflict with everybody else except the person you need to have the conversation with. So in your head, you keep amping up the dialogue or you go get all of your friends involved and say, you won't believe what happened here. And the third type is that you simply blow up. And those are the three forms of unhealthy conflict that we want people to learn how to navigate and prevent from happening. Mm -hmm. We've all been in these situations where we go into those type conflicts or difficult conversations, however we want to describe them. And uh, for lack of a better way to describe it, we just, we know we're right. <laughs> Whether we're right or not, we know we're right. And we come equipped, we do research, we do all these things. But I want to go back to what we talked about last year, which was really tapping into emotional intelligence then. What do we do How, when we have that urge to go, oh, by gosh, I know I'm right. I am going to win this conversation <laughs> or this argument. How do we uh, reason with that and tap into that emotional intelligence and still uh, be able to have a, a mature conversation with the person, not trying to win and just try to listen and, and, and maybe voice our opinion, but listening as well and, and walk away as friends or family members or colleagues. <laughs> Absolutely, and the core foundation of emotional intelligence is your ability to be self-aware. So one of the things that we talk about in productive conflict is are you aware of your automatic negative assumptions? Are you aware of the style of conflict resolution that you have an automatic go-to? And so if you have that awareness, what my triggers are, um, what's gone right and wrong in the past, then you have the opportunity to actually self-regulate, which is that second component of emotional intelligence. So for a lot of folks, the first step is, am I aware of what my triggers are? Am I aware of what might go wrong? And am I willing to accept my automatic negative assumptions and let go of them? And then the other component that comes into play with emotional intelligence, when we go into a conversation, we know if there's butterflies in the stomach or if the hair on the back of our neck's gone up or if we're suddenly turning red because we're so angry. Emotional intelligence includes your ability to see the behaviors of the other person and then interpret how they might be reacting. And that's mm -hmm. gonna be that first piece. So what you're saying is it's, it's not easy to have these conversations, right? I mean, it's not easy to address it in this emotionally intelligent, mature way. Uh, you have to do some work. You have to do some self-reflection too, right? To figure out what your triggers are so you can stay out of the, you know, the kind of infighting or whatever it may be that occurs. And, and that's why in, in the um, workshop, we spend so much time on mindset and we spend time on motives and those types of things. One of the most transformational moments for me when it comes to conflict, and I'm someone who likes to please people. So unless you really get my goat, I'm gonna say yes, because I just don't wanna hurt your feelings and I don't want you to think I don't like you and I want you to like me. That's not helpful. And what would happen then is I would turn into passive aggressive approaches because that was easier for me, but it wasn't helpful. When we think about productive conflict, 
what transformed my view of it was when I changed my mindset. And instead of saying that conflict is transactional, let's get it over with as quick as we can, when I started to see every problem as a chance to build a relationship, I was able to flip my, flip my thinking on conflict in general. So if I, if I approach a conflict with the idea that every problem's a chance to build a relationship, I go in focused on what's our common goal and hearing their perspective first. Mm -hmm. And that's, the first two steps of productive conflict. You've got to identify that common goal. Um, taking it out of the workplace, you brought up the example of you know going home to family mm -hmm. and um, saying, "Do I want to have this conversation, or what shouldn't I say around you know Uncle So and So?" You got to figure out if there's a common goal. Are we both in agreement that we want to learn the other perspective so that we can more um, have more understanding of the underlying issues. And if that can't be the common goal, whether it's because of you or uncle so-and-so, that's not the time to have that productive conflict. Mm -hmm. um, whereas at work, if you know that someone's not performing well, or you know that there's something happening in the organization that you need to have go in a different direction, then the key is to find the common goal first with that other person. And oftentimes the common goal is we want the best outcome for the patient. We want the best outcomes for the practice. How do we go about doing that is then the next part of the discussion. Okay. Um, I do wanna go back to your session in San Diego. So if someone were to attend that, what, could they expect to take away from it? What is the sort of elevator pitch <laughs> that you would give somebody to say, this is, this is really the essence of what it's about and what you could learn from this? The first thing is the fact that it's incredibly interactive. This is not sitting and being lectured to for three hours. So what we're gonna do is we're gonna explore the mindset and the skill set for productive conflict. Then we actually rehearse the skills because people might be surprised where they actually struggle. I have a lot of folks when I teach that say, I figured we had the same common goal before we even started. And you realize that's the point that you need to work on. You know, my one client, Joe, is always calling me and he's like, Amy, I found a new aunt, an automatic negative assumption. He's like, I've got a new aunt, I gotta work through. And so really it's four modules, changing our mindset, shifting to productive motives, managing our assumptions and our emotions, and then utilizing the actual productive conflict model itself. But it is very interactive. We rehearse, we practice, we get heated on purpose so that we can learn how to bring that back a little bit. And then we work on listening skills. Hmm. Why do we as humans perceive ourselves as better uh, and I don't know if we perceive ourselves as, but it, it, it plays out as, as better talkers than listeners. Why is that? What's, the, what's going on in the brain? What's going on in our hard wiring to feel that way? I think it's not necessarily that people think they're better talkers than they really are. I think it's they think they're better listeners than they really are. Oh, I see. And quite frankly, I think some people, you know, because we've got a lot of people who are more reserved, so they might not be talking as much, 
but are they listening to the highest level or are they not listening to the highest level? And that's true of whether you're outgoing or reserved, introverted or extroverted. I think we all think we're better listeners than we are. And so we'll do a couple exercises to see how good we are at listening. That is so interesting. I, I had it kind of flipped there, but um, that's cool. I can't wait to hear you sort of workshop that in San Diego. <laughs> so um, in an earlier correspondence, um, you said something, I wanna get this right. You said that courage and confidence needed to engage in difficult conversations in a way that is respectful, candid, and productive. We've been kind of around the edges of this, but I, I guess what got me was the courage and the confidence side of it. So talk about that. Why are these needed ingredients to make this work? I think before I answer that, I wanna explain my definition of courage in this situation. Okay. Because I, when people hear courage and confidence to engage in difficult conversations, the assumption is easily made that the courage is to have the conversation. I take courage a step further. And I say, do, the, do you have the courage to look at yourself and say, what's my role in this conflict? That's true courage. True courage is to say, how am I a part of this conflict? What am I doing that might be increasing the conflict that we're having? So the courage, yes, it is the courage to start the conversation. But from my perspective, that's actually the confidence. I have the confidence to start the conversation. Your confidence comes from being skilled at the techniques. Your courage is your willingness to say, there's something I can learn here. Is there something I can do differently? How am I part of the problem so that I can be part of the solution? Hmm. That is so interesting. Um, I want to just go back to something we've already touched on a little bit, but it just fascinates me. Why is it difficult to have difficult conversations? What is going on in our mind space, in the brain, in our hardwiring, whatever it may be that either inhibits us, it, it keeps us from having productive conversations or even avoiding difficult conversations? There's the physiological aspect. We all want to preserve ourselves. And so our amygdala kicks in and we've got the fight or flight response. And so a lot of people use avoidance as their default and that's flight. That's I'm out of here. I'm not going to engage in the conversation. Other people dig in and say, I'm going to get my point across. I'm going to prove it. That's the fight um, mindset or physiological response that we have. And, and we can't ignore the fact that our amygdala does kick in. What we can do is say, I can move past that initial default thinking of fight or flight. Mm -hmm. Wow, that is powerful. Um, now, you have also said that there's a methodology to mm -hmm. having productive conversations. Walk us through that. Are these processes? Are they steps? I mean, what, what's, what are you getting at here talking about methodologies? There's four steps to having a productive conflict. And obviously it's ideal if both parties know the steps because it'll make it easier for that conversation. The first step 
sounds simple, but is surprisingly difficult, as I've mentioned earlier. The first step is to identify the common goal. It's moving beyond what I want to figure out what's the common goal that we can agree to. The second thing is that you're actually going to do inquiry. You're not going to launch into, now that we've got a common goal, here's my perspective. You actually want to say, I want to understand it from your perspective. As the great Stephen Covey says, you know, listen, learn, seek to understand. That's the second step. The third step is when you share. And that's your opportunity to inform or explain. Again, there's components of how we do that in a courageous and respectful way. And then the final component is you've got to commit to action. If you've agreed that we're going to productively resolve this problem and we're going to have a conversation, there's got to be an outcome to it. Now, that outcome may be great. We've gotten as far as we can today. Let's talk again next week. Or it might be, here's the three things that I'm going to do. Here's the two things you're going to do. But you've got to commit to action or we just go into the cycle again. Right. Right. Yeah, we do. Uh, talk about that then, because it does seem like if you have consistent interaction, whether it's with a colleague, a friend, a family member, whatever it might be, that you kind of get into a groove, a pattern of how those conversations go. They, no matter where they begin, they seem to wind up, if there is a negative aspect to them, they wind up in that same place. Talk about that and how do you... Um, how do you overcome that? Particularly, let's just use the example of the other person is not going to be using these tools. Um, they're not going to be using this methodology. So you're kind of on an island, but let's say um, it's unavoidable. It's, it's with a, a colleague or, or, or a business partner of some type or family member, friend that, you know, you're going to keep that relationship, but it can have a negative outcome. So how do you begin to chip away at that and make some progress there. One of the opportunities in those repetitive situations where you both walk away angry or you both walk away feeling like I've given up everything, the common goal for your next conversation is that I want us to be able to have these disagreements and not walk away feeling worse about the situation. So the common goal is can we talk about what it would take for us to have better conversations? And so that's the common goal in this situation. It's not about solving the problem of the practice. It's not about solving how we're gonna implement this change. The conflict we're resolving right now is our inability to communicate well. Mm. And so the common goal is for us to listen to each other, to understand where we're getting hung up and then commit to what we're gonna do differently in the next meeting. And it might simply be, listen, I know that when I get hot under the collar, I, got to, I gotta take time to cool off. Okay, then our commitment to action is simply that you will tell me that next time instead of just getting up and walking out or instead of continuing on but not listening anymore. Can that be our commitment to action? Yes, I can agree to that, okay. Mm-hmm. Um, one last thing here, you, you've also mentioned that it's important that someone speaks persuasively mm -hmm. and not abrasively. Uh, give us an example, if you have one, of what this looks like in the real world. I mean, it makes perfect sense when I'm 
thinking about it, but uh, how does it play out? What does this look like? So I think the important thing to understand here is that persuasion is your ability to connect with someone in a way that allows them to see your perspective and potentially agree with your perspective. Abrasive is purposely or inadvertently scratching your fingernails down the chalkboard. And so here's an example of what I mean. I have a team that I'm working with and right now they aren't well connected. And in fact, if one of them says anything, the other person just disagrees on face value. So what they've turned into is um, just short of finger pointing, but basically it's like, here's my point. No, here's my point. Abrasive language is not only about the tone, the body language, but it's abrasive is that um, action of shutting down your listening. And persuasive is looking for ways to connect. Abrasive is simply saying, I'm right. No, I'm right. Persuasive is help me understand your perspective and then we come back to the conversation. Abrasive is stop, it's my point. Persuasive is I'm gonna lean in and listen to yours. Mm -hmm. How do you get around it in, let's say in a medical practice, if, you're, if you have more of a vertical leadership organizational you know, structure there and you're not the one at the top of that vertical uh, situation, you want to be understood, you want to be respected, um, but there is a hierarchy for better or worse. So what are the best tools? What are the best ways to work with those people? If, if there is an abrasive person or someone who's not respecting you, uh, but you report to them or you, or you report to people who are, uh, you know, under them as well. So how do you address that? I think this is one of the hardest challenges because at some point, a lot of people will just give up because if that, it does require the person in authority to be at least willing to have the conversation. And if their answer is always gonna be, it's my way or the highway, then at some point people will choose the highway. If you want to avoid that because you love the work, you love where you are in that practice, then what your opportunity is to start working on understanding what their needs are so that you can come to a common goal that makes sense to both of you. And this is where you have the opportunity to really lead up, um, is by knowing what's the priority for that person. What are their needs? What are their pressures? You know, one of my clients, their practice, the margin has gone down in a couple of their locations um, over the past year. And they've been talking about what do we do to bring, bring the margin where we need it to be. And I worked with the manager at that one location. And she said, how do I have the conversation with the owners that, you know, I'm doing all I can and I don't know what we're supposed to do and I'm really getting frustrated. And I said to her, do you understand from their point of view why margin is so important? And she was honest and said, I don't know what margin is, Amy. I said, okay, then let's talk about what margin is. And then let's talk about why it's important that you can have that conversation at that level with the owners. And then you can go back and say, here's what I can do to make my margin next year. Hmm. That's fascinating. All right. Well, thanks for sharing that with us because I've always wondered what you do when you're in that situation. How do you 
work your way out of it or, or grow in that situation. So I, I do want to switch gears to something else you talked about earlier. You said during the pandemic, you've been, you've been working on a book. Tell us a little bit more about that. What's the topic? What can uh, someone expect to learn who, who dips into that book? My book is called People First, A Proven Method for an Exceptional Healthcare Practice. And what they can expect when they dive into it is a method for making your practice truly exceptional. It looks at all aspects of the practice. And I chose to focus most of the work around how you design your systems and your structures in your practice. So a lot of my client work, um, we look at how you create better systems for accountabilities, how you do better systems for communication, strategies and structures for that. And so when I think about this people first method, as long as your mind's open to the idea that people first can be helpful, then it's um, practical tools and tips to actually help you get there. Because what I think's happened is the IHI meant well when it explained to us that there's a triple aim and it's all about patients. But as a 2014 article in family practice medicine showed us that patient first is what's strangling our practices. It's what's burning out our teams. It's what's exhausting everyone in the practice. And I had a personal experience where I started in an urgent care practice where they were having 70% turnover. Hmm. And our employee engage our patient satisfaction scores were in the one percentile for practices based on Prescani. And so when we wanted to improve patient satisfaction, they'd been working on that for a long time and had gotten no traction. I said, stop. We've got to put our people first and we've got to create systems, structures, and strategies that support people first and the patient scores will improve. And I use that as the foundation of the book because in a little over a year and a half, we went from the one percentile to the 43rd percentile. Now, is that my dream to say, gosh, we're at the 43 percentile of patient satisfaction? No, but to have that big of an improvement without the focus being on the patient is what it was really about. Mm -hmm. And so just like in productive conflict, it starts with the mindset, the mission, the vision, the values of the organization, the behaviors that go with those values. And then we look at say, which is the systems of communication, the language we use, um, the way we carry out our intentions. And then the actions are the do. And it's based on the idea of how do we do onboarding and orientation better? How do we do employee engagement and empowerment better? How do we do attraction and selection better? And then to me, growth is one of the primary goals in any practice. And I don't necessarily mean I add my fourth practice or my fifth practice. It might be I add another service area or we increase our bottom line revenue. Whatever it is, there's growth. And I provide very detailed things to consider and methods to use as you grow. Okay. Well, Amy, I, I think that's actually a great place to stop. I mean, that is just gives us so much to work with and think about. And so I want to thank you for joining the show again. And I'm really looking forward to meeting up with you in San Diego. 
I am very much looking forward to that too. Thank you so much. Well, that's going to do it for this episode of Insights. Thanks to our guest, Amy Lafko. Also, thanks to All Scripts and to MGMA Leaders Conference for sponsoring this week's show. You can hear Amy and many other great speakers at the conference, and you can accelerate your path to medical practice leadership. So join us in San Diego, October 24th through the 27th, or for our digital experience, November 16th through the 18th. Visit mgma.com mpe21 and register today. And with Allscripts Revenue Cycle Management Services, you get a robust end-to-end revenue cycle solution that improves reimbursement processes and offers access to advanced analytics and reporting. Allscripts can help you reduce the cost of care while building a healthier community. Learn more at allscripts.com. If you like the show, please rate and review it wherever you get your podcast. If you have topics you'd like us to cover or experts you'd like us to interview, email us at podcast at mgma.com. Or you can find me on Twitter at MGMA Daniel. MGMA Insights is presented by Declan McGee, Rob Ketchum, and I'm Daniel Williams. Stay safe and thanks for listening. Hi, this is Declan McGee, one of the producers for the MGMA Insights podcast. If you like the work we're doing, please consider becoming an MGMA member. Learn more at mgma.com slash membership. Thanks.